Well, good morning, church. I'm just going to say the obvious, okay? The elephant in the room, and that is Moses must have walked in here because he parted the Red Sea and y'all sat on the edges. So I just had to get that out. I feel better now. Now we can focus in on his word. Okay, good. Um, when somebody says miracle, um, you know, the question is, what comes to your mind? And I'm going to come over here and turn my monitor on. I'm not leaving you all. When I say miracle, what comes to your mind? Think about that. Somebody says miracle. What's the first thing that pops in your head? Something fantastic? Something crazy? Maybe something weird? What is it? You know, and I was studying and preparing for this, and and I, I think back to how do you prepare to talk about miracles in church? And I know some people right away, you think about the Bible and God's acts of power and maybe Jesus walking on water, maybe Lazarus being raised from the dead, or maybe there's other miracles perhaps that come to your mind. What are those miracles? I want to ask, uh, Julian, is the screen on or the PowerPoint's on? I'm not sure if they're popping up or not. Maybe it isn't the Bible miracles that you're thinking of. Maybe perhaps something comes to mind like TV evangelists and people getting really weird on TV. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes that's what people think of when it comes to miracles. And perhaps, thank you, you want to believe in miracles, but you're skeptical for some odd reason. And maybe I don't know what that reason is, but you have your reasons as to... Do I really believe in miracles? Maybe you've seen a miracle firsthand and you can just shout out God's faithfulness. So what comes to your mind when I say miracle? whole slew of things, right? What about a miracle performer? If I were to ask the question, who is a miracle performer? What would your answer be? We, uh, we hear stories. We read stories. We've seen things on the screen, on TV or in movies. All these different things of heroes and lovable characters who seem to do the impossible, whether it's Santa Claus or Superman. Like, how do they do that? It's like a miracle, right? I saw a cartoon. And I don't know if you ever pick up the Sunday comics or throughout the week, Dagwood and Blondie. Have you ever seen those cartoons before? Check out this cartoon up on the screen here. I step down so I can read it with you. Everything going great? Magical. I hired two new ace elf drivers from Uber. Do you have a lot of elf turnover? Are you kidding? My elves get unlimited treats and naps. Here's the kicker. Do you think you could talk to my boss for me? Hey, I'm Santa Claus, not a what? Miracle worker, right? See, even Santa Claus is standing there in this cartoon saying, I'm not even a miracle worker, right? So we think, well, who is a miracle worker? Because we have all these ideas of people who are miracle workers. But in Psalm 106, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? I think we would be astounded 
by all the miracles in the Bible, if we could come down and we could list all of those that are listed in the Bible and look at them and list all those that are not listed in the Bible that God did, I think we would be blown away by the miracles that God performs. God is our miracle worker. So I asked you a question. I'm giving you the answer to that one, right? But I think about this. Look what the psalmist said. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can, who can list them? Anybody? We can't, can we? We can't. And that was just in the Old Testament, right? When the psalmist had written this up to that point in time. And then you go into the New Testament. And we find, especially in just in the life of Jesus Christ himself, there were 34 distinct miracles of Jesus Christ. And then you have those others that are not recorded in the gospel that Jesus did. And then we have others throughout the New Testament. So maybe you're still skeptical about miracles because it sounds too much like biblical times. And we live today in the year 2018. Hopefully you're remembering that as you write your checks. You're dating it correctly, right? We're in 2018. And biblical times, that was a couple, what, thousand years ago? Miracles seem like ancient they almost don't seem that real, and it's, it's possible to be skeptical and cause you to wonder, like, am I even qualified for a miracle? How many of you think you're qualified for a miracle? Let, let me ask you this. We'll start this out. Do any of you in this room, and you don't have to raise your hand or shout, yes, that's me, okay? But anybody in this room have any problems or struggles that you uh, have seemed to deal with this recently? And again, your problems can range as anything as simple as your car breaking down to a loved one passing away. Maybe it's financial issues. Maybe it's relationship struggles. Maybe it's losing weights. Maybe it's all kinds of problems. Whatever they are, those are problems, right? Those are struggles. Those are issues. Anybody here dealing with procrastination? Anybody dealing with failure in life? How about obeying God's command? Plural, commands. All challenging, right? But I don't know. We still need a Savior. It sounds like, right? It sounds like we still need a miracle worker. If we got all these things going on. And so I would say this. If those all sound familiar to you, then yes, you are qualified. Yes, I am qualified for a miracle. And Jesus meets those challenges and those problems head on and he invites us to walk with him, and to see him at work in our life. So, here are the answers to the questions I just asked you. Miracles happen. That's the answer to the first one. The second answer is, yes, God is the one who performs miracles. And then, are you qualified for miracles? The answer is, yes. Just sometimes we just don't see them. Sometimes we're just not realizing the miracles that are going on around us and we don't pay attention to them or we're just so busy, we're not seeing God at work. January of 2007, world-class violinist Josh Bell played six of Bach's most stirring concertos on a 300-year-old Stradivarius, which gives us a fancy word for violin, right? That was worth $3.5 million. Can you imagine that? So on a musical instrument worth $3.5 million in a sold-out concert where people paid over $200 a ticket just to hear him play. It was incredible. An incredible musician, right? A few days later, he participated in an experiment. 
He put on a ball cap, as you can see in this picture. He had the same violin, the same, same Stradivarius, and he went down into a metro station in Washington, D.C. He played with a tip jar there on the ground, playing a similar song that he played just previously at the concert by Bach. He made, by the way, $32 in tips that, that morning. And he had over 1,000 people walk right by him and only seven stopped to really listen. Are we too busy to see the value that lays in front of us? Josh was at one of the busiest locations and people did not stop to hear one of the greatest musicians in the world play one of the finest pieces ever written on one of the most beautiful instruments ever made. They're just too busy. And I wonder sometimes, do we miss similar things with God? That God displays some of the most beautiful things around us in some of the most beautiful ways, but because we are so caught up in our day-to-day running from place to place, we run right by what God is doing and we miss it. Sometimes we're so used to something, we don't even realize how special it is. Three years ago, one of my, um, uh, three years ago, one of my son's uh, roommates, Colin's roommate in college, his name is also Josh, woke up on a January, I'm sorry, December morning, and he went running out of his college dorm, and was like a little kid, was just running all over the the grassy area outside their dorm. But it was no longer grassy because there was snow there. Snow was falling, and he was just like a little kid who's never seen snow before in his life, playing it, picking it up, throwing snowballs, doing snow angels. You see, Josh is from Florida. This is the first snowfall he's ever been a part of. And, of course, Colin's up in his dorm room looking out going, man, what are you doing? It's just snow. But to Josh... He's never seen that before. Sometimes we're so used to the things going on around us, we have forgotten the works of God are amazing and need to be celebrated. Three scriptures I want to throw up on the screen for you. You can write them down and check them out later. Let me read them to you from the book of Psalm. Psalm 40 verse 5 says, O Lord my God, you perform many miracles for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I try to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. <laughs> it's endless. Psalm 65, 8 says, Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. The last one, Psalm 78, 4. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and about his mighty works. All these scriptures, and there's so many more, the psalmist is proclaiming, look what God is doing. Let's proclaim them. They're so endless. He is the miracle worker. He is mighty in deed and power. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John chapter 2, where we're going to sort of place the rest of our focus this morning on a miracle of Jesus Christ. John chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. We've got them in the back. John chapter 2. Again, in this passage, we have the first recorded 
miracle of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we're beginning, as maybe you heard, a new series today. Now, next week, we're going to take a pause. Pastor Landon's going to be back with uh, all the youth and youth leaders, and they're going to share next week about what happened this weekend at Kalahari on their retreat. And uh, we look forward to that, but then we'll hop right back into this. But the series is called Need a Miracle. And we're going to look at the miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible and how the miracles that Jesus performed relates to us today and how God is still at work with us today. Now, we know this is the first recorded miracle of Jesus, but it makes us wonder what were possibly some of the other miracles that Jesus did that were not recorded. I mean, were there miracles before this? Don't you sort of wonder? I mean, when Jesus was just a little boy, did he not want to use his power in any certain form or fashion? I mean, they're not recorded. Did he do anything as a teenager? Did he do anything in his 20s? I mean, how early did he recognize his relationship with God the Father? How early did he want to start doing something? I mean, we don't know. Was there a town bully that he wanted to do something with? Did his mom ever, while she was cooking him, think, you know, Mom, watch this. I could whip up something really good. Did his dad, while he was making something in the carpentry shop, did he say, Dad, I, don't, I know you don't know what a rocking chair is, but let me show you. Did he ever do anything like that? Probably not, but it makes you wonder, right? Because he had amazing power that he could have used in performing miracles. But I, do we wonder sometimes that some of the greatest miracles he performed were the ones that he did not perform? That sounds sort of confusing, didn't it? Some of the greatest miracles that Jesus performed could have possibly been the miracles he did not perform, such as the false religious leaders that he could have done something to, but he did not. When he was on the cross, he could have come down off the cross, but he did not. He restrained his power. And to me, that seems almost miraculous, isn't it? The power of Jesus Christ was incredible. And in this passage, we see some amazing things. So let's pick up verse 1, chapter 2 of the book of John, verse 1. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. First of all, let's recognize that the disciples had just begun to follow Jesus. If you look through the chronological order of the New Testament and you see when Jesus was born to his childhood, which was not much said about it, then it gets into that Jesus called his disciples to follow him. And immediately after his disciples followed Jesus, we get to this passage. Which is amazing to me because these followers of Jesus followed Jesus not because of what he did, hashtag miracles, they followed him because of what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. It was a testimony of John the Baptist. It was what Jesus was already maybe saying. And these disciples like, we want to follow this. Not because he did something incredible, miraculous. But because of who he was already claimed to be by John the Baptist and by his testimony. It says, the next day... So these disciples start following Jesus. The next day, there's a wedding. Mary is there, the mother of Jesus. Jesus is invited, and his disciples as well are in attendance. So I love it because I, so much of my time, I, I sit here and think for myself personally, when it comes to social events, I'm not usually up there at, at 
the crack of dawn saying, oh, tonight is a wedding. I can't wait to go to a wedding. Oh, there's a banquet going on. I can't wait to go to the banquet. That's not me. If you know me, you know I go to those things. I enjoy them. But they're not like what I look forward to. Jenny's like, are you excited about going to? No. I'll be honest, no. I like going to them. But do I get excited about those? I'm not probably that kind of the party guy that says, I can't wait for that social event. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Okay? But sometimes when we think about Jesus going to these social events, I, I, I love it because Jesus didn't spoil the good time. People invited him there. Jesus, we want you at the wedding. We want you at this event. We want you to come to the banquet. We want you to eat with us. People weren't afraid to invite him. They knew he wouldn't spoil a good time. And we often think of Jesus so stoic and so serious. I mean, after all, he had a mission to what? Seek and save those who are lost. Jesus is out to save people. So if Jesus is out to save people, he's so serious. And so, boy, I don't, I don't know if he'd want to go to a, a wedding or something that might be fun. So what's Jesus doing at a wedding? Well, special occasions have what? People, Right? And people are of value to God. And Jesus came to save people. So that means if I'm going to attend a wedding or another social event, guess what? There are people there that God loves and values and wants to have a relationship with. So that's, that's why maybe Jesus was there. Not just because he loved a good time, but because he loved those who were there. And weddings were week-long celebrations. It took serious planning. On behalf of the bride and groom, everybody in town came. Can you imagine that? It was today, obviously, the towns were smaller than what we were here today. But can you imagine? This is a week-long celebration. Everybody in town is going to come. And if you don't come, you're insulting the couple that invited you. So you come. The whole town's there. Look at verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. So here's the dilemma. You know, we often tend to plan the wrong amounts of food when we have get-togethers, don't we? But for, on our occasion, we always usually plan too much. We always have leftovers. Maybe you did during the holidays. You got done and you still got leftovers. We still have leftovers sitting around. It's getting time to probably toss them. It's sad, I know. But running out of things, that's very rare. But here, they ran out of wine, which seems so minor, Right? But in first century Palestine, this was a public shame. It's your wedding day. You ran out. Oh, talk to the bride about something going wrong and planning for a wedding. Now she's going to be seriously upset, right? You want things to be perfect, but you ran out of wine. A couple authors said a few different things about this. Uh, Tenney said this. To fail in providing adequately for the guests would involve social disgrace. In the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the newly married couple all their lives. So put yourselves into their community, into their culture, into their time, and understand this. You ran out of wine, you're a disgrace. Oh, this will never be forgotten. This will go down in the day when you blew it. And here's this new married couple thinking, it's our wedding day. We ran out of wine. James Boyce said this, being a, 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 rabbi, a rabbi symbol of joy, he said, to run out of wine would almost have been the equivalent of admitting that neither the guest nor the bride and groom were happy. 
The first public miracle that Jesus Christ performed wasn't about saving a life. It was about saving a reputation. If it matters to you, guess what? It matters to God. He's not just a God of big things. God is a God of small things. God is the God of your everyday details. God cares about the details in your life. Whether they're big or whether they're small, God looks at them and says, I care about those details. I care about you. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, she steps in. And I love her. Mary didn't tell Jesus what to do, did she? What did she, what did she do? She walked up to Jesus and goes, they're out of wine. That's all she said. She didn't say, hey, Jesus, you need to. Hey, you know what you need to do, Jesus. She just trusted him to do something. It was the role of the parent not to fix or direct the child, but to call them out into their destiny. And as a parent, isn't that what we do as parents? Sometimes we want to direct and control our kids and everything they do, but sometimes we know what our kids are capable of. We just need to draw them out and let them move in that right direction. We point them there, or we bring something up, letting our kids know, you know what? This is what God's called you to do. And we pray that they hear that. Mary, the mother of Jesus, simply encouraged her son to do something. She didn't tell him what or how. It's like a simple prayer, wasn't it? They have no wine. Jesus, they have no wine. How many simple prayers have we offered up? Don't we have prayers like that? I've offered up quite a few in the last week. God, my kids need you. God, our finances are are low. God, our our Uh, My wife is sick. God, this. You know, those are all kinds of prayers that we could probably pray, right? They're simple prayers. And our God who is all-knowing, our God who is all-powerful, knows those prayers before they come off of our lips. Do you think he needs you or I to tell him what to do next? God, my friend is sick. You know what I think you need to do, God? Isn't it funny that we think we need to tell God what to do next? Have you ever stepped into maybe the surgical room of the most, the the nation's top surgeon who's performing a triple bypass surgery on somebody, and you're like, I think I'm going to step in there and tell them how to do this. (laughs) That ain't happening. I, I, you know, my car breaks down. My car is a mess. I don't pull it into the mechanic and, and say, hey, you know what I think you need to do? I just pull it and say, I am, my car is broke. Okay. That's the best I got. And that's what we do with God. A God who's all-knowing, all-powerful, we go to him and say, God, this is what's wrong, and I don't know what to do, but you do. It begins with us recognizing the need and going to the one who is capable of taking care of that need. That's when miracles start to happen. Look at verses 4 and 5. Dear woman, that's, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, it may be confusing. Jesus refers to his mother with a term of respect that we don't understand in our culture today, but in that culture it did. He doesn't call her mother. And all the recorded words of Mary are few. It's good to pay attention to her words are recorded here. They consistently glorify Jesus, not herself. Mary simply encourages them to obey the directions of Jesus Christ, just as we should today as well. 
Mary was the supporting cast. She wasn't the main character in the story. She's like the boy with the five fish and two loaves of bread. She's like the four men with the paralyzed friend on the mat. Maybe our role is not the one who needs the miracle. Maybe our role is like the supporting cast, like Mary. Maybe we're there to help in the situation. The one to give hope to the one who needs a miracle. Mary sensed that she needed to go to Jesus on behalf of this bride and groom and encourage Jesus with those words. We're out of wine. Mary possibly went to the couple. Who knows? Maybe she went to the bride and groom. She said, it's okay. My son, Jesus, is here. He always knows what to do. We don't know. But she felt that nudging of God's spirit to do something. And in Hebrews 10.24, it says this. Let us not think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We're to consider, think, focus, or fix our eyes on how to help others. That's what this verse is saying. Now, if we were to use maybe our terminology, not so much the scripture terminology, maybe we'd say a pat on the back, or and sometimes it's a kick in the butt. It's you're nudging somebody else because God has nudged you. This past uh, week, and, and um, I was really amazed at what took place um, Friday. See, Friday, all these kids and the leaders showed up over on the other side of the building to get ready to leave for Kalahari. And as they're getting ready to show, there's two girls that didn't show up yet. It's about 10 till 6. They're going to leave at 6. And these two girls hadn't shown. And it's like, I wonder if they're going. So as the leaders are all getting stuff around and organized, we went over to the desk and sort of pulled out some forms and said, Let's, how about we just give them a call and see if they're coming? Did they already pay or did they not pay? What's the situation? Well, what happened is one girl was sick and she couldn't come and she just forgot to call and tell. But the other girl thought, as I talked to her mom, can't afford it. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to take care of this. We, we heard about it. So in the eyes of that parent, this girl was not going to go because the money wasn't there. And we were like, the money doesn't matter. Somebody's already paid for it. Because you see, earlier in the week, somebody sent me a text and saying, hey, if there's one or two students that can't go, I'll pay their way. See, somebody already took care of it, which was pretty incredible. And I had to text back that person and say, I guess everybody's set. Thank you for the offer and talk to them about it and so forth. Now I was able to go to this parent and say, it's paid for if you want. And it was neat to watch what happened next. Because of one phone call was made, that nudging, let's call. The call was made. And then the youth leaders were like, we'll wait. The other vehicles can take off. And the one, leader, the one youth leader that had room in his vehicle said, we'll wait. How long does she need to pack? Now we're talking to a teenage girl, okay? How long does it take a teenage girl to pack? I, being a very not sympathetic type male, said, can she be ready in five minutes? I should have known better, right? I was thinking on the guy terms. The mom was like, probably not. I was like, well, how long does she need? 10, 15 minutes. And the youth leader looked at me like, oh, no problem. It's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Um, they picked her up. She's off at Kalahari. A few mi- minutes later, I got another text from another person in the church that I just saw this posted on Facebook. And the parent had posted her gratitude towards this church, towards the people, and how God is at work. 
those nudgings. That doesn't seem very miraculous, does it? I believe it is. It's neat to see how God works. God positions people in the right place at the right time. But it's up to us to act on those nudges that God gives us. Are you part of that supporting cast? Sort of like Mary? Are you aware of God's spirit maybe nudging you to help? How has God maybe said, this is how you can help? And you might think it's nothing much. All you did was just go, like Mary, they're out of line. Maybe you just offered up a simple prayer, but then God said, no, you just need to go say this and ask this, and I'll do the rest. Look at verse 6. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each one could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I was reading about um, how one of the engineers of the Lego Toys asked a group of people, and I don't know if you've ever seen this before, how many possible ways could you take an eight-stud brick Okay, that's an eight stud brick you see. Now, if you took six of those bricks and you positioned them and stacked them and formed them in different ways, how many different formations could you get? Now, if you asked me that question, like I was reading on this article, I would have said, I don't know, a couple dozen, maybe a hundred. My number was way off. Now, according, and this is according, and this is probably debatable, so I'm just sharing with you what I wrote, read, uh, legobrickopedia.com says, there are over 915 million different combinations with those bricks to stack them different ways and connect them. That's mind-boggling. Now, whether the person that did this article and wrote it up was correct or not, the number is still huge. And I wonder sometimes, do we underestimate what God is do, can do? He is able to do more with what we have than we can understand. He took six stone jars of water and did something miraculous. He had simple content inside that water. See, the ceremonial washing jars, those stone jars, was people came in, as they often believed, was the world pollutes you. So you walk in to eat, let's wash our hands, clean us, um, purify us from the world and all the sin, and let's come in and let's eat. Well, they took those jars, they filled them with water. And they were used for, uh, in that moment, ceremonial purification. But Jesus said, I'm going to use them for something even different. Taking those six jars of water, Jesus performed a miracle that we would have said involved chemical reactions, molecular changes, all sorts of stuff, right? A transformation process that's going to take more than just a couple seconds. But that's what Jesus did in a couple seconds. Psalm 77, verse 14 says this. You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Church, understand this. God is the engineer of all laws and forces. Gravitational. Electromagnetic, nuclear, atoms, particles, the laws of, of entropy. all Basically, all those things that you and I completely have forgotten and dismissed since chemistry and biology classes. Okay, all those things. Okay. God is the engineer of. God is the designer of. The genetic code created by God. All these things, all things are miracles in themselves. So God, our Heavenly Father, the one who engineered and designed all of these things, he is capable of overriding some of those laws when he wants. He is capable of making these transformations, these molecular changes, these chemical reactions on his own if he wants. Because after all, he's the one that designed them and created them. Look at verse 7. 
So Jesus told the servants, fill the waters, the jars with water. When the water jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. I love this. The servants under the direction of Jesus Christ were unique place of blessing for this miracle. Jesus, Jesus wanted the cooperation of mankind in this miracle. He invited these servants to be a part of it, basically. He could have filled the pots himself. He could have not even had the pots moved. He could have just said, boom, there's already, there's already wine in there. It's good for you. He could have done all that. Instead, he had them involved in the miracle process. And of course, the servants did not do the miracle. Their efforts were basically were completely insufficient, right? But because of their obedience to Jesus, they shared in the joy of this miracle. They got to walk away and say, we filled this up with water and we took it back. And then it wasn't water anymore. We were there. We saw. We, we, we filled it. We, we, were, we touched it. They got to share in the joy of that blessing of the miracle. The servants obeyed without question. And the thing was they filled them up. Had they filled those jars only half full, guess what? There only been a half jar full of wine as well. But they filled it to the top just as he commanded. Jesus told them that when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of the ceremonies. Now think about this. This took faith on behalf of the servants as well, right? We just filled it up with water. And Jesus said, after you fill it up with water, dip some out, go take it to the master of ceremonies. Okay, I'm dipping water. I'm taking him. He is expecting wine. And he, they handed it to the man. You know, they could have said, why would I do that? I'm not going to hand him a cup of water. He's going to throw it in my face. The master of ceremonies takes it and drinks it. Look at verse 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it came from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Verse 10. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I love this. This miracle, miraculous story concludes with his disciples believed in him. Of course they believed. They believed before, but now their belief was deepened and re-expressed. This is typical, though, in our Christian lives. Before God does something great, we probably believe in him. But then we see him doing something great and we, our faith is enhanced. Our faith is increased because now we're seeing God at work. And then we still sometimes sit back and say, but I'm still a little skeptical about what God can do. I'm not sure what to believe or, or not believe. And I wonder sometimes, are we so intellectual that we need proof all the time? A violation of natural laws is not logical. Therefore, it cannot be, Right? Or have we been disappointed by God's absence and lack of miracles in our lives? So that's why we're skeptical. When's the last time you thank God for keeping us in orbit? When's the last time you thank God for gravity? What is God doing in your body on a daily basis, pumping blood? If God can keep us from floating off this universe and keeping our hearts pumping and our bodies functioning in amazing ways, don't you think he's capable of opening up doors of opportunity in your life, helping you find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right or getting us out of debt or helping us discover something that we didn't even know was around the other corner? Don't you think God can do those things in your life? Mark Batterson is a pastor and author. He said this, We don't appreciate the miracles of God consistently 
day in and day out. Forgive me for phrasing it this way, but the problem with God is that God is so good at what he does that we take it for granted. I read that and I thought, yeah, that's, that's true. He is really good at what he does. And because of that, we forget that. We forget that. Water. No calorie value in it, right? Very simple, but vital to metabolism. Important to photosynthesis, right? Putting out fires, hydrating our bodies. Jesus used the most basic resource in nature. A reminder that God doesn't need much to work with. And you might think, I don't have much to give him. He goes, that's enough. That's all I need. He took the simple resources. He made it better. And if God can take the simple and do that, what else can he do with you? Jesus did the miraculous. He did just save the reputation of that bride and groom, but he helped them look better. He didn't save the day. He made their day better. And God wants to do that in your life too. I, I, you want to say, do I believe in miracles? Absolutely. You know, when I look, at, when I look over at Troy and Tiffany Guy, I can only remember the day when Brooks was hit by a car. So young. Him and Carter, best buddies. And I remember getting a phone call He's riding his bike on County Road 13, came across 13, and a car hit him, and he flew, I don't know what, 40, 50 yards. He, he should probably not have survived. And I get the phone call that they have life-flighted Brooks to, it was St. V's, I think, I can't remember, and I drove down as quick as I could. I'm thinking, Carter's buddy's gone. And we get in there, he was fine. And I remember he had a shirt underneath. What was it? Do you remember the shirt he had underneath? He had a t-shirt underneath the shirt when they, they cut it open, they rip it open. God's warrior. Yeah, that was cool. Do I believe in miracles? Absolutely. That was years ago, and there's countless since then. Countless since then. When I think about this wedding, I think, how will this moment be remembered? See, every time this married couple sipped a glass of wine, do you think they remembered that reception with Jesus? Do you think as they took a, a drink, they always go, do you remember when Jesus did that miracle? Of course, their memory had to be jogged. Their faith had to be increased. When God does a miracle, the way we manage it is by believing it, God, for even bigger and better miracles. That's how we can be stewards of what he does in our life. You know, my dad's fingers, I shared the story with you multiple times about my, my dad's fingers and the surgery and how he, they saved him in surgery. That waiting room in a hospital was a room of bearing good news. And God's miraculous power to heal. So today, waiting rooms and hospitals, as much as I do not like hospitals, as much as I don't like being in the waiting room of a hospital, every time I step into a hospital, every time I step into a waiting room, do you know what I'm reminded of? That God can do miracles. God is a God of miracles. We don't always get the news we want when we're in those places, but God is a God of miracles. And I believe that. His love, His power, his knowledge is immeasurable. Worship team, would you please come forward? Psalm 111.4 says this. He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. Would you please stand? He causes us to remember his wonderful works. How gracious and merciful is our Lord. I think about this, like I said, 
when there's certain things where God's done a miracle in your life or you've seen something, when you see those places again, like a waiting room, a hospital, he causes us to remember his wonderful works, as the psalmist says. How gracious, how merciful is our Lord. Do we praise God for the work he's doing in our life and has done? And are we praying for him to do more? Because he can and he will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of us in this room today could possibly need a miracle. It may be something as, as simple as being healthy. It may be something as a car breaking down. It may be something even more bigger. It's like the, the debt they've accumulated is just incredible. And Is there a way out? Maybe there's some kind of decision trying to be made in a relationship and just there just seems no answer. Somebody in this room, if not all of us, are in need of a miracle, God. So God, we bring our request to you this morning saying, God, this is, this is what's going on. And, and you knew that already, but we need to confess it to you. One of the greatest things we need is salvation. We need to be saved from our sins. And for you to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us and to forgive us seems like a miracle in itself as well. God, maybe maybe it isn't so much we need a miracle in our life, but we know somebody else that does. And maybe we're just supposed to be that cast, that supporting cast in the process where we just come along and we nudge that person or we are an encouragement to that person. Or you want to work through us to be involved in the miracle of another person's life. God, help us to know what that is. Help us to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you, to believe that you really are the incredible miracle worker. God, we love you and we thank you for this time we've had to worship you. And God, we want to sing to you now. And as we sing to you, keep working in our hearts. God, help us know how mighty, how powerful you are and what you can and what you will do in our lives. In our name we pray. Amen.